Hello, and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we bring together nonprofit thought leaders and change makers to talk about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks for joining me today. Today, for our second episode of season two, I am delighted to bring Kirsten Bunch to the Good Fundraising Podcast. Kirsten is an executive coach for nonprofit and NGO leaders. Prior to starting her coaching business, Kirsten spent 20 years in nonprofit fundraising and nonprofit work, so she understands very intimately the challenges that we can face in this sector. Kirsten joins me to talk about mental fitness, how that's different from resilience, and its importance in our lives as leaders and managers in the sector. Kirsten leads retreats and workshops for those interested in working on their own mental fitness. And if you're interested in finding out more, you can find her at Kirsten Bunch, K-I-R-S-T-E-N-B-U-N-C-H.com. Okay, on to my conversation with Kirsten. Kirsten, thank you so much for joining the Good Fundraising Podcast for season two. I'm so excited to have you on and for you to share your expertise and your background of how important it is that we as fundraisers and people in the nonprofit sector work on our mental mental fitness. I think you're going to have so much valuable information to share with everyone. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. I am really excited to be here. So Kristen, you are an executive coach for nonprofit and NGO leaders. And full disclosure, we have worked together before. You have helped coach me uh, during a career transition of my own. But you have really extensive experience in this sector and would love to just take a moment for you to share your background with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I spent about 20, 25 years working for the most part for international nonprofits or NGOs um, as both a program manager or program director, um, somebody who developed programs, so new business um, and then as a, as a development director or fundraiser, um, I work for organizations like the Rainforest Alliance, Trickle Up, Vision Spring, um, and, and kind of crossed, uh, danced between the lines of a tradition, more traditional nonprofits and social enterprises. Yeah, I did that for about 25 years. And then about five years ago, left that career to become a coach. And the reason why I chose to work with nonprofit leaders is because when I was working in my career, and one of the main reasons I left was because I just experienced such an extreme form of burnout. I was exhausted. I didn't feel like I had the support I needed to be successful in my job, or at least healthy in my job. And it just, after a while, got to be too much. And so I left. I think that's, in some ways, it's a shame. I mean, in other ways, it's been a really great career tra- trajectory for me and career path. But I also feel like there are a lot of people who are choosing to leave the sector and go work, you know, go do something else for work. And we're losing the talent in that sector because we're not getting the support we need to lead healthy careers. Yeah, I would agree that that's sort of a really unfortunate, almost epidemic in nonprofit with burnout because people are under-resourced, because there's not supportive structures in place. You know, you certainly have a view on this because you're working with people all across the sector, but do you feel like that's actually gotten worse in the current moment with COVID or or do we have reason to be hopeful? 
Yeah, um, it's a, that's a really good question. I think it's, it depends. I think on one hand, people have really come together and rallied behind each other and come together in a, in a difficult time. And then on the other hand, it's also a time where people are being asked to do more work uh, for, for, with fewer resources while they're managing their families and homeschooling and all these things, remote work. And it's a lot. It's it's a lot. So I am seeing people who are asking, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to do something else? Specifically with fundraisers, I find that a lot of people are asking, okay, I'm tired of this. It's a really difficult environment to fundraise in. I'm not getting the support from my team. I'm not getting the support from the board. I feel like I'm out here alone. Um, and so is there a way to take my skills and transfer it to a different type of job where there's just not so much pressure. So that's happening. Um, but then, you know, there are people also really interested in getting into fundraising. So I think it goes many different directions. Yeah, it's an odd, certainly people within the nonprofit world are used to dealing with emergencies, um, you know, especially those in, in relief, but not exclusively. I think the challenge with this is it's been a prolonged emergency and it's, it's not contained just to work. You know, the emergency is kind of all around us all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the reasons I was so interested to talk about you at, at this moment is we do have a lot of people hitting the wall um, with burnout, just COVID burnout, work burnout. And it seems like a good moment to talk about, you know, what we can do to protect our mental fitness and improve our mental fitness so that we're in a better place to make those decisions right? And to really evaluate um, if this is a, a sector we're going to stick around in. So, you know, what, let's talk a little bit about mental fitness. What is it and why is it so important? Yeah, great question. It's not necessarily a term that you're used to hearing. Mental fitness is uh, the amount of time you spend in positive emotions, positive energy, like creativity and empathy and collaboration and curiosity, as opposed to the time you spend in quote unquote negative emotions, like stress and frustration and anger. I like to use a physical fitness analogy. So think about it this way. So if you're not physically fit and you encounter, a, you know, just a small hill, you'll be fine walking up that hill, right? Like, you know, maybe you'll be a little bit of out of breath, but if you're not physically fit and you go and encounter a big mountain, you're going to have a really hard time climbing up that mountain. And it's the same with mental fitness. So if you, you know, if you're of average mental fitness, which most people are, Something can come along that's not that big of a deal. You know, maybe you spill your coffee on your desk or whatever. And, and you know, you can recover from that. You're not going to sit there all day. Or most people aren't going to sit there all day in frustration and anger about the spilled coffee. But the problem is, is that when big challenges come along, like COVID, if you're not mentally fit, uh, if you don't have the tools used in mental fitness, then you're going to feel more mental stress. You're going to feel a lot of anxiety and frustration and happiness. Um, And it's going to be hard to handle your work and and also relationship challenges without a a decent level of mental fitness. So is the key difference between mental fitness and resilience, that mindset piece that you're referring to of the time you're spending in the positive emotions, whereas resilience or grit is something a little bit different? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think resilience is part of being mentally fit. It is part of mental fitness. The difference is often resilience feels like you're supposed to bounce back no matter what. Sometimes kind of ignoring what you're feeling or you're just like, I've got this, I'm going to bounce back. Um, mental fitness is more about pausing, taking a brief moment to say, okay, like I'm recognizing that this is a hard time for right, me right now, that I'm feeling these and feeling this stress and anxiety. Pause and do what we call mental fitness language or PQ reps, which basically are, are a very quick mindfulness exercise where you're bringing your attention into your body, whether that's rubbing two fingers together or focusing on where your, all your toes are, you're bringing your attention into your body. And when you are focused on the present moment and what's going on in your body, because what's going on in your body is always the present moment, that spin of stress and anxiety and all that pauses for a moment. And then the third component of what we do is then we switch to accessing these, I like to say, more helpful or positive emotions like curiosity. So, you know, using curiosity, you could say, okay, my development assistant just quit. Uh, she's not coming in ever again. I don't know what I'm going to do. The, the online gala is next week or whatever. You know, instead of just being like, I'm so frustrated, I'm so angry, I can't believe this has happened, woe is me, whatever your, your go-to phrase is. Um, instead, you could use what we call one of the sage powers of mental fitness, curiosity. You know, how could you get really curious about what, what the gift could be here of this person resigning, for example? Well, that sounds far more pleasant than the grit your jaw and kind of plow through of resilience. And it sounds like it's actually far more constructive because you're taking time to reassess and find solutions to things as opposed to probably not changing your situation with that approach. Yeah, I like to use this metaphor of if you're feeling emotions like stress and anger and frustration, uh, if you think about that as kind of putting your hand on the hot stove. That's important, right? Like it's important to know that it's, those emotion, emotions are important to understand like, oh, my hand's on the hot stove, something hurts so that you can take your hand off the hot stove. What mental fitness does is it asks a question, okay, you recognize your hand is on the hot stove. Do you want to take, is it your choice to take your hand off the hot stove and move into thinking about things in a different way or taking a different approach so that you you don't continue to burn your hand. Does that make sense? It totally, it totally makes sense. Um, and I, I really like the example that you gave of, okay, your development associate quit and the gal is next week, because I think that is something a lot of people can relate to. Um, and so, you know, how have you seen people within the nonprofit sector and NGOs use mental fitness um, to improve, improve their decision-making, their experience uh, within the sector and, you know, their leadership. Mm -hmm. We could talk about um, briefly the, the five sage powers. Basically, the core of mental fitness is you have these saboteurs that are responsible for negative emotions. And there is a chief saboteur called your judge, and everybody has a judge. Um, and I'm sure you could think of five examples right now, how, how your judge is active in your life and your brain, thinking about yourself and other people and situations. 
And then you have the opposite of the saboteurs is the sage. And the sage has five powers. And the sage also has a very specific perspective that there's a gift and opportunity in everything. If you just pause for a moment when something like your development associate resigns and you just say, okay, like instead of getting frustrated and angry about this, I'm just going to say, so what's the gift? What's the opportunity here? And then you can use, um, and this is something that we teach in, in mental fitness, you use one of the five sage powers in order to figure this out or order to move forward. The first power is empathy. You know, maybe you're really angry at this person that left, or maybe they were just a big pain in the butt the whole time they worked with you and you're kind of relieved that they're gone, you know, but you know, one of the things that you can do is have empathy for that person, you know, you know, maybe this person just couldn't do this job or whatever. It just puts you in a more positive emotions, emotion. You can also have empathy for yourself. Like it's okay for me to feel frustrated and angry about this right now. The question is, do I want to stay there or would, would I like to, to move into a different uh, mindset or way of thinking? So empathy. And then you also have what we call the explore power. And the tool of the explore power is curiosity. Curiosity in this situation could be, hmm, I, wonder, um, I wonder who else in this amazing organization would love to help me with this gala, online gala. Maybe there's an intern and maybe there's somebody who is really interested in fundraising or event planning that would really like to help me out here in the meantime. And then the third power is innovation. And this is where you use the yes and game where you throw an idea out there like, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe somebody from the program team wants to help out in development. Um, and then you say, yeah, what I like about that idea is that then that would bring, it would kind of break down the silos within the organization and people from the program team would have more understanding of what I'm doing over here on the development team. And what if I had the program team form a committee to help the development team or something like that? So thinking innovatively about the problem and how you can move forward. I mean, they really sound like they flow into one another and they're so complementary because I can absolutely see how that curiosity brings about innovation because you start exploring the underlying issues and you look for opportunity with that approach. What, what's number four? <laughs> exactly. So number four is navigate. Navigate is thinking about what is your long-term vision here and getting connected with that. Um, you probably remember when we were working together that I'd say, okay, well, what's your vision here? Like what, you know, in five years, what, what's important here for you? What do you think is going to be important? So that long-term visioning is really important to get you in touch with your overarching why. So like in the, the case of the online gala and your, your assistant leaving, you know, what's really important here is that your, it could be that your um, clients are shown in a really great light and they feel welcome or your donors feel really welcome or whatever your goal is, right? Um, but getting that picture in your mind of this is what this day is going to look like. This is going to be, this is like the best case scenario. It's going to be amazing and allow yourself to dream really big and just you know, keep the saboteurs like, oh, this isn't going to work kind of out of it and just let yourself navigate to the future that you want. And then the final one is um, activate and activate is what it sounds like. So what actions are you going to take now that you've gotten in, in touch with 
the innovation you want to use and, and where you're headed with the Navigate Power. How are you activating? What are the concrete actions that you're going to take, you know, today, tomorrow, whatever your time frame is to make that happen? Yes, I, this does sound familiar. I remember, I, I, I'll just say personally, what I liked with navigating of keeping that long-term vision or end goal in mind is I think it, speak for myself personally, it sort of stops some of the spin of being caught up in the issues of the current moment. Um, to be able to evaluate, you know, what's what's truly going to be important out of this. And, and also in five years, am I going to remember this as being the most important thing that was happening to me? Probably not. Right. So I think it, it just helps keeps like problems in perspective as well as keeping that end goal front of mind. Um, and I like the activate piece. It feels like there's an accountability component of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Accountability is one of the best tools that we can use as leaders, whether you are accountable to a coach, to somebody in your family, to, you know, a support group or a colleague. Accountability is a key component of coaching, actually. But, uh, you know, even if you're not working with a coach, there's definitely ways to be accountable. Yeah. So what's the first step for someone who's interested in beginning to build up their mental fitness? I have a concrete step for you and then also, you know, maybe less concrete step. The less concrete step is to get in touch with your saboteurs. What, you know, and the saboteurs are those voices in your head that are telling you whatever they're telling you. You're not good enough. You're going to fail. You, you know, nobody likes you, whatever they're telling you. That's our brain, by the way, trying to keep us safe. Um, There's a biological reason why that's happening there's nothing wrong with you that you're having those thoughts. Everybody has them. And so getting in touch with, okay, what am I hearing? You know, would I ever talk to a friend like that? No. Right. Like I'm never going to say to my friend, like, you're, you know, what? you're a big loser. Think about that. You know, start to pay attention to that. What are the saboteurs in my head telling me? And then the more concrete step you can take is the model of mental fitness that I teach is called positive intelligence. You can either go to my website or you can go to positiveintelligence.com and take the saboteur assessment and find out what are your top saboteurs. There are nine, what we call accomplice saboteurs, in addition to your chief saboteur, which is your judge. And each of the nine saboteurs has specific characteristics and specific ways that that saboteur talks to you. That impacts you, impacts other people, and impacts um, how you perceive situations. So, yeah. So, I mean, I would do that. I would, I would uh, get in touch with your saboteurs um, and take that test. See, see, it's free. Just go ahead and, and take it and, and see what comes, what comes up. It's really fascinating, actually. So once people have that information and they're a little more in touch with what their saboteurs are, what do they do with that information next? Well, once you're in touch with what your sa- who your saboteurs are or what your saboteurs are, um, and I, I do want to have a, a say a little side note here that you are not your saboteurs. You have a saboteur. That doesn't mean that's who you are. Mm. Who you are is really your sage. It's it's the person inside of you that you you were born to be. Um, and when you peel back all the layers of saboteurs and stuff, you figure out who that is. So once you start to get in touch with your saboteurs, and, it, and, and it's kind of like the saying goes, once you start noticing something, you, you're going to see it a lot, then you can take steps on deciding 
how you want to deal with those saboteurs. And this, in the mental fitness program, we teach a very, or teach a very specific way of managing this, which is to recognize the saboteur is there. So um, like right now, this, my saboteurs are pretty like quiet. There's still a little bit of, of, of my sabot, my judge who's called, I named her, her name is Queenie. Uh, <laughs> so she's pretty quiet right now, but it, part of her is here saying to me like, oh, you're going to mess this up. Like, what are you saying? This, you're not making any sense. Um, so anyway, I recognize that she's here and I can just say, okay, so Queenie, I've been waiting for you. You're here. I knew you were going to show up, but I've got this. This is this is my show right now. So you go go over there and sit in a chair and and take a moment and just relax. I got this. You know, so that might sound a little bit silly, but it's this way in your mind of creating a separation or distance between those negative thoughts that are spinning in your mind and distracting you from what you're trying to do. That's great. I, I like the naming of it, giving yourself some distance from it. I mean, like knowing is the, the beginning part of the battle, right? Of identifying what, what's actually going on. So that, that sounds great. And so then what you want to do is take yourself out of the spinning in your head by coming into the present moment. And as I explained before, you can do that in any way. You can just focus on what you're hearing, focus on what you're seeing. You know, don't think about it. Just, just be in that moment. Focus on what your stomach feels like. You know, anybody who practices meditation or has done any mindfulness work probably is familiar with this concept, mm -hmm. right? The cool thing about mental fitness is it's not, we're not saying go and meditate for 20 minutes. We're saying take a minute or take two minutes and do what we call PQ reps, these mindfulness exercises to bring yourself into the body. Um, you can do this, by the way, even if you're in a meeting and you're feeling triggered or feeling yourself getting angry or frustrated, you can do this by rubbing two fingers together underneath the table. Nobody, nobody sees it under or out of camp, you know, in today's world under out of out of the view of a camera. And what that's doing is that is switching your brain from the part of your brain that's responsible for keeping you safe and fight and flight and all of that. Basically, it's like hitting your hitting the pause button. You're taking your hand off the hot stove, and then you can use one of the um, one of the the sage powers that I was talking about. You know, pick one, pick just one for now to try out. Like every time I get um, annoyed or frustrated, I'm going to get really curious about something, or I'm going to have empathy with myself or the other person, and just try it out and see see if it makes a difference in how you feel and how you approach things. That feels like a great toolkit to have, knowing that you only have to pick one. But I just think about heading into difficult conversations where you know you're going into a stressful meeting, kind of having a game plan of, if I feel this way, I can rub two fingers together, bring myself back, and then think about one of these to go to. Um, it just feels helpful. It feels like it gives you literally a set of tools going into a stressful meeting so that you, you have a plan. I think that's, it feels very realistic. Yeah, what's really great about the mental fitness model that I teach is that it is designed for really busy people. It's contained within an operating system. It's like this happens, then you do this, then you do this, and you do this. 
I'm on coaching calls all day. Um, and sometimes I'm triggered by something a client might say. And so for me, just being able to have this tool, where I can intently focus on what, you know, the hair of my client or something like that to kind of take me out of like whatever my judge or other saboteur is telling me and come back to the present moment. And then just, you know, for me, I use curiosity a lot, you know, get really curious, but that, you know, that's the role of a coach is, is just to get really curious. It's like the number one rule. <laughs> so is, is working on mental fitness something that people can begin to do on their own? Are there applications for working with coaches or groups or teams? Is there any one best path or is that really individual? I would highly, highly recommend finding a specific program to at least teach you the basics. I'm going to speak for the mental fitness, the positive intelligence, mental fitness model that I teach. There are a lot of us out there now teaching this. And it's a six-week program. And for the first six weeks, it's a little bit intense. It's not a huge time commitment, but it is something you have to pay attention to, right? So I would highly recommend doing something like that, or also like going and just doing a traditional, more traditional mindfulness or meditation program and finding what works for you. One of the things about the mental fitness program, the positive intelligence program is that a lot of the work is done in an app. So you just, you have the app on the phone, you're doing the work in two minute chunks during the day, um, which, you know, anybody can do find two minutes in the day. That said, there are other apps on your phone also. You know, there's some breathing apps, stuff like that. Anything basically to take your hand off the hot stove. How are you going to take your hand off the hot stove and then move into that sage power that you choose to work with? And in addition to people working on this for themselves, I know a lot of us are people managers. We're in charge of teams or just in our day-to-day -day lives, we're in charge of families and small people. So I'm curious what the applications are for a group or a team doing this work at the same time. Have you seen that be successful and beneficial? Yeah, yeah, I have. And it's a really interesting question. Um, first of all, I'll say that I have. I've worked with teams. What it does, what I love and what people have told me that they love about this program as far as within a team environment is it gives people a shortcut of language to just say, oh, you know, my hyperachiever saboteur is coming up right now. And everybody in the team is like, oh, okay, we get that. And they'll have empathy or you'll figure out a way to work around it. You know, it's a way to recognize what's going on in your colleagues and in yourself. It's a common language. So I find that it works really, really well with teams. But the really interesting thing is the other day I posted, you know, there's this um, online Facebook group, um, nonprofit, oh, what is it called? Nonprofit happy hour. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Nonprofit happy yeah. hour. Yep. The other day I, I posted something about mental fitness, just asking the question in the nonprofit happy hour on Facebook that has like 48,000 members or something in this group. For the most part, people's responses once they looked at it was like, there's no way I would bring this to my group. Um, it's way too vulnerable. Um, it's not appropriate for work. And I found that so fascinating. I'd love to dig into it a little bit more, you know, and of course it's Facebook. Who, I don't know who was responding here, but what it told me is that, yeah, I mean, there is a vulnerability here about having your colleagues recognize 
who, what your saboteurs are and what their saboteurs are. But the, you know, the bottom line is that we all have one. There's nobody on your team that doesn't have these saboteurs. And so it's kind of like, we're all in the same boat together. And there's a vulnerability around recognizing your saboteurs, recognizing the saboteurs in somebody else. And that vulnerability, I believe makes teams stronger. Yeah, absolutely. That feels like old school management of, you know, you have to have this completely stoic facade and super rigid way of working with another that's very hierarchical. It has no place for vulnerability, but I do think modeling that is so important. And just even thinking of the last 12 months, how many discussions there have been about, you know, people seeing into each other's lives, literally seeing into each other's lives because we're on Zoom. So seeing where children pop in the screen or a cat or a partner that, you know, we all bring that stuff with us every day. It's just more front and center now. So I, yeah, I would agree. I think, I think having that vulnerability is, is helpful. And I love the idea of the teams having a common language because I feel like that would help break down some of those barriers to have those more direct conversations and productive conversations about what's really going on. That's it, right? I think we're, we're beyond the time when we're supposed to pretend to be somebody that we're not. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. Like over the past year, look, look what's happened. I mean, it it is so normal for a cat to walk across your screen right now. Like that just happens, right? Your kid's screaming in the background. Let's move that way to our next normal, you know, even in even further in our next normal. Um, And let's show up as who we are and be completely accepting of ourselves and others at work. I have a feeling if we stop spending all this time trying to hide who we are, trying to be whatever we think we're supposed to be, we are going to be much more productive. We're going to be much more effective, especially people in the nonprofit world, you know, nonprofit leaders and people just getting started. You know, to me, that's, that's the way to go. Well, that feels like a great note to end on actually. Um, But before I let you go, you know, you mentioned the positive intelligence saboteur assessment, Are there other resources or workshops that you'd want people to know about for who are interested in exploring this further? Yeah, absolutely. One is my mental fitness bootcamp, which I run every six weeks or so. And I I also, um, sorry, let me, the dog walker just showed up. (laughs) No problem. We just talked about humanizing our lives. Have the dog bark. That's true. That's true. He's right on key. Yeah. Um, I offer a mental fitness bootcamp about every month, every six weeks. And I do try to do cohorts of people who are in the nonprofit sector or even more specifically people who are fundraisers. Because I feel like there's a real set of saboteur stuff that goes on with fundraisers with all that, all that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, So I think it's really important to come together as, you know, a cohort of like-minded people that are doing similar work and work on their saboteurs, work on their sage. That's one way to go about it. Um, And, you know, the other thing is if you're not doing some form of mindfulness work, download an app and start. I can't tell you how important it is. Uh, I like to say I'm not a big fan of the woo-woo in coaching. (laughs) My work is very much based in theories based in neuroscience. And so looking at Looking at what's happening in your brain when you're practicing mindfulness techniques is is something really important to look at if you're a leader. 
You reminded me there of Dan Harris uh, with 10% Happier because he also says, not a fan of the woo-woo, but- And that, oh, really? <laughs> yes. <funny>. Yeah. <laughs> not a fan of the woo-woo. Um, like a meditation skeptic, but clearly he's he's yeah. found a lot of benefit from it. So, well, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing these resources um, and your experience and, and some of the experience of the people you've worked with and the benefits of working on our mental fitness. It feels like it's more important now than ever, but has, has such benefits for the long haul. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks again to Kirsten for joining me today. I will link in the show notes to the resources Kirsten mentioned, including where you can find some of the PQ exercises, details on her upcoming um, retreats as well. And for listeners of the Good Fundraising Podcast, Kirsten has very generously offered to extend a discount. So if you are interested in pursuing that, please go to her website, kirstenbunch.com. And when you reach out, please mention that you heard about it on the Good Fundraising Podcast to get your discount. Thanks again to Kirsten. Thanks again to all of you for joining me today. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to share with a friend or subscribe so we can reach more people. And if you have an idea for an upcoming topic or speaker, please drop me an email at hello at goodfundraising.net. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm so excited about season two and look forward to bringing you the next episode. Until then, remember to be nice and do good.